Brother Pete could see he'd do all right, wouldn't he? Amen. The way I am, I have to, I have to put, I have to put the words real big when I sing, and I don't apologize for it, brother. I just magnify them. Amen. But that was great. Amen. Praise the Lord. There's such a blessing. The Morningside. It's not a rest home, is it? What is it? Morningside Resort. It much as you have to pay to get in there, uh, and uh, retirement club or so whatever. Amen. Brother Howard and I had a good visit yesterday with one of his lifelong friends, and uh, he, he said he was going to come Sunday morning, so pray that Fletcher will show up. 109, was it 109? I don't want to follow up. One something, amen. But anyway, it's a great place down there to preach the Word of God and teach, and I appreciate Brother Pete being so faithful. A lot of people wouldn't go down there. They think the old people don't need it. Well, we all need it, amen, whether young, old, or indifferent. And one day, you're going to be put away, and you'll hope somebody comes see you, amen, before you get put away, amen, and that's a first-class put away, I'll tell you that right now, amen, but pray for Brother Pete, he stirred up all the non-Baptists down there, so we need to pray they'll come back, as he preached, uh, taught on Baptist distinctives for a few weeks, and uh, a few ex-Baptists, the backslidden Baptists got upset, and I guess the Episcopalians got upset too, or Episcopalians, amen, and I know the Catholics got upset because we preach... Uh, some things that ruffle their feathers, but we didn't mean to. We're just preaching the truth, amen? So pray for them. Truth will set them free. If you have your Bibles, turn to First John tonight. Uh, I feel like I'll probably dismiss a little early tonight. Um, some people have already packed up. I saw campers in the driveway, amen? I like that, amen? I mean, they're getting ready. They're excited about going on this retreat. I'm excited about it. Not just the Krispy Kreme donuts, amen? We, I was going to go on a diet, and I saw, I saw on the calendar, couples retreat then I got another one in South Carolina next week and I said nope I'll have to wait till next month amen and we have men's retreat coming up uh, the third week in April at Sand Mountain all the fish you can catch and we'll eat like kings up there they just feed us uh, such good food and um, we'll suffer for Jesus up there as men and uh, have some good Bible study I've already got the speaker lined up and we're going to be preaching on what men should do in the home Amen, and I think they ought to be leaders, and we'll, we'll uh, preach on that and teach on it. be a blessing. First John's on fellowship, and you know, I, best, I believe the best ship is fellowship. I believe the most miserable person in this room is one that's out of fellowship. And I'm going to give you a test of about five or ten questions on how you can know that you're in fellowship. And it's all taken from the Word of God. This is a survey of First John. We'll start First John in a couple of weeks, verse by verse. And um, it's a tremendous, tremendous uh, book on knowing uh, that you're saved and knowing that you're in fellowship. There's a difference in sonship and fellowship. And as our missionary has said, uh, we need to disciple people to realize what they get into and how they ought to be uh, in fellowship with the Lord. Because a Christian out of fellowship with God is good for nothing. What the Bible says in John chapter 15, like a branch laying on the ground. You don't abide in Him. You can't have your prayers answered. And uh, there's no joy. And you don't bring glory to God. John 15, we could go verse by verse there. But 1 John gives the word fellowship many times. And last week we saw it, and you might want to review this, Brother uh, Cody. The source of fellowship is Jesus Christ and His incarnation. In verse 1 it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, with our eyes we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Can you imagine being able to say that? That you touch God 
You touch God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 2. It says, for the life was manifested. We have seen it and bear witness and show it unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. And so there's a difference in a dead religion and a great relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of people have religion, but they don't have no relationship. Because of your relationship, you ought to be religious or faithful. Say amen. But I want to tell you, friend, this, these two verses stir my heart that through Jesus Christ's incarnation, Him coming to us, we, we, are, we are touched by His love. And He humbled Himself, came obedient, even obedient to death, that we might be set free. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that He is Lord. Amen. And He's over all. And the man that, the, the one that uh, created us, the one that sustains us, and the one that died for us wants fellowship. That stirs my heart. He wants us to fellowship with Him. And I believe a lot of times we fellowship one with another, but we don't fellowship with Him. We don't crack our Bible except when we come to church. We don't pray until we come to a prayer meeting. And folks, there's no fellowship. And then number two, the source of fellowship is His crucifixion. In John, First uh, John three sixteen, the second John three sixteen. I won't read all these verses. I want to review, catch those up that weren't here yet last week to start this study. But look at verse sixteen, First John three sixteen. That's the second John three sixteen. Y'all know John three sixteen, but First John three sixteen says, "Hereby perceive the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren." And so there's a ministry of laying our life down and being crucified with Christ and identifying with His death, burial, and resurrection and taking the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. John, 1 John 4, 9 says this, And this was manifested the love of God towards us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. See, the only life we have is in Christ. And look at 1 John 5, and I, this will be the last verse I'll have in review. But 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. I use this a lot in jail, when I preach in jail. And by the way, I'm going to tell you something. I believe with all my heart this marriage retreat is one of the most important meetings we'll have all year. I was out begging people last night in the cold. They wouldn't even let me in the door begging people not to counsel because I know their, their marriage is on the brink of divorce. And they promised to come. So you need to realize this is a matter of life or death for some couples if they show up or don't show up. And I wish you'd pray they'd show up and then they would be open, and the Word of God would speak to their heart. But it's terrible to be out of fellowship with your mate. It's terrible to fuss and fight all the time. It's terrible not to speak. How many ever unspoken to your mate, raise your hand? You never spoke, okay, the rest of you come to the altar for lying. <coughs> you probably, probably some of y'all never had a problem with your wife or your husband. You never had a time where you said, Jason, pass the salt. But uh, I have. And uh, <clears throat> I won't go in detail about it, or y'all probably fire me, but I want to say this, is that God help us. Uh, it's terrible to be out of fellowship with your mate that loves you so much. But how much more is it terrible to be out of fellowship with God? But here's the verse, 1 John 5, 12. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And I use this uh, uh, phrase, you're just marking time if you're not saved. This is like in the jail, Xing off the things and uh, I heard from somebody that had every opportunity in the world and he's in jail and now he's off in prison and he wrote and apologized and asked you to write him so we will 
and we'll pray for him. And we never give up on anybody. But I want to tell you something, because Jesus never forgive, gives up on us. But I want you to know this. 1 John 4, 9 says that we can have life through him, but you don't even have life unless you're saved. He that hath the Son hath life, he that hath not the Son of God. Then the purpose of this fellowship, we ought to know and love God and his people. Uh, that's the purpose of it. We might know God. Know and love God and his people. And I read 1 John 1, 1 and 2, but let me give you verse 4. It says, And these things write in you that you might that your joy might be full, 1 John 1, 4. But you go back up to 1 John 1, 3, and the Bible says this. It says, that which we have seen and heard declare unto you that ye may have fellowship with us. And listen to this. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So you can be in fellowship with God. Folks, it's more important you talk to God than you talk to somebody else or your politician or your faithful representation and Congress and president and everybody else you want to talk to to change the world. They won't change the world. Only God can. And so we see the fellowship is truly our fellowships with the Father. And then the requirements of fellowship is that we walk in the light. Look at verse 7. It says, but we walk in the light as he's in the light. We have fellowship one with another because the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. I'll tell you how I have fellowship with you is because you're saved and I'm saved. So we're in the same family. We're children of God and we have the same Father. Why? Because the blood of Jesus cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And folks, it's not a club that we're joining here. It's not a, 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 a clinic, even though it, you know, some. One, one person told me, said, hey, I would go to the marriage retreat, but people think I'm a hypocrite. No, we'll think you're a hypocrite if you don't come. Because I want to tell you something, we all, need, we all need it. Amen? And I told her, I said, hey, listen, we're not trying to profess anything coming to a couple's retreat. We're going to a couple's retreat as a clinic. You need help. I need help. We all need help. The speaker needs help. And folks, we sometimes think we don't need it. We need it. We need it desperately. And one day you'll realize how much you need it. But I'm glad for those that's come, and I pray that you will pray that you'll come go next week as we go to either Savannah or Nashville. And that's going to be a long trip, so we're going to stay more than a few days. But I want you to know this, friend. We're not there to party. We're there to walk in the light and have fellowship one with another. And they'll know that we're disciples because we love one another. How terrible it is that the Christian marriage is no stronger than the world's marriage that one out of two Christian marriages are ending divorce. That's sad. That's sad. That's a sad testimony to the world. Our marriages ought to be different. Our walk ought to be different. Our fellowship ought to be different. And if it's not different, nobody's going to notice it. We ought to be different. And I want to be different. I want to be a distinctive Christian. And so we see that um, uh, we walk in light, then we recognize our sin. This is the key in 1 John 1.8. It says, if we say that we have no sin, listen now, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. Some people think of they're totally sanctified through some kind of confession to man. That's ridiculous. Folks, I want to tell you something. We need to realize that we need to confess our sins daily. And to confess, look at verse 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'll be talking that, about that in just a minute. Is the key to fellowship is being honest and, 
and, and confessing your sin. But see, we as Baptists and sometimes probably other denominations look at the word confess as just list. That's what it means in the Greek, list our sin. But it means more, much more than that. It means you see your sin as God sees it. You judge it like God judges it. And you realize that your sin put him on the cross. So no sin is little because sin separates you from the presence of God. We ought to abhor sin. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. I caught a boy hugging a girl on a bus one time when I was a youth pastor. And I said, what are you doing? It's a preacher's kid. I said, what are you doing? We don't allow hugging on a bus. And he said, well, the Bible says cleave to that which is good. <laughs> I, said, I said, you smart aleck PK, you ain't getting away with that, amen. <laughs> it also says abhor that which is evil. So I said, move over. Amen. But anyway, he got saved later. He got saved, really, truly, he got saved because of a death of one of our young people. And by the way, I wish you'd pray for Chad Gordon, a good friend of mine that uh, took the church that Brother Jason almost took in Jackson, Georgia, where another good friend of mine spending some time. And uh, his daughter fell asleep yesterday morning on the way to school, and they had a head-on collision. Almost killed all three of them, but all of them survived, and they're broken up. And I wish you'd pray for all three of them. It's the grace of God grace of God that they're alive and then we need to recognize our sin we need to confess our sin we need to keep his commandments we need to keep his commandments folks there's obedience and then 1 John 2 28 probably my favorite verse in 1 John this is a survey of John so uh, excuse the scrambled eggs but we I like scrambled eggs amen uh, we'll go verse by verse later look at verse 1 John 2 28 and now little children abide in him when he shall appear, we shall have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I don't want to be ashamed when he comes. And I want to tell you something. God knows. God knows how you act between Sundays. God knows how you treat your wife. God knows how you treat your husband. God knows how you treat your children. God knows how you treat the neighbor that's hard to get along with. Amen right there. Come on. Plays their Mexican music too loud. I mean, you, it's hard. Praise God. You want to go over there and, and tell them to take a siesta. Especially when, especially when it's 2 o'clock in the morning. Say amen. Come on now. I know what I'm talking about. I've had that episode in my, in my neighborhood. Turned out to be a rock and roll star at 2 o'clock in the morning. He was jamming. I said, hey, I'm praying, buddy. You just better keep that guitar down. He moved. Thank God. I prayed him out of the neighborhood. But listen, keep, keep his commandments. Amen. Abide in Christ. And then uh, the requirement for fellowship is to keep unspotted from the world. You know, I put, posted this today about R.G. Lee said it, you know, that the only thing condemned is intolerance. Folks, people are uh, admired for their sin. And they're admired how good their sin is. And folks, there's nothing wrong today. Well, I want to tell you something. If it's in this book and it says it's sin, it's sin. And folks, we'll never have fellowship unless we abhor the darkness. We'll never have fellowship with one foot in the world. We'll never have fellowship just in the gray areas of life. We need to have so much love for God that we turn from the world. That's positive, independent, fundamental separation, is that we love God so much we don't love the world. Say amen. We fellowship with God. Therefore, when we go somewhere, He goes somewhere. When we go in a restaurant, he goes. When we listen to music, he listens to it. When we read a book, he's reading it. 
When we watch a TV program or we're in the privacy of our room and something's on the computer that uh, grieves the Holy Spirit, God sees that too because He's in you. And so we ought to be unspotted because if you get spotted, you know what happens next. You drop your guard. How many has ever had an old shirt and you got a spot of grease on it or you put your ink pen in there like I do often and my wife gives me lectures on that. You put your ink pen in there with it open and she scrubs and she tries hairspray. We don't believe in hairspray around my house. But anyway, hairspray and all kinds of stuff and it won't come out. What's the next thing you do with that shirt? You wear it to paint. You wear it to feed the dogs. You wear it to plow the back 40. You just wear it all the time because it's spotted. Now I want to tell you something. The devil wants you to be spotted by the world and then he'll condemn you to the world. You won't lose your salvation, but you'll lose your testimony. So watch being unspotted. I'm just talking about fellowship tonight. And then uh, last but not least, we minister to the brethren in need. We minister to the brethren in need. Look at verse chapter 3, verse 17. I'm not sure if I covered this or not. It's been a week. It says, But whosoever hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So we ought to be generous. We ought to be loving. We ought to be giving. I want to give you a test tonight in closing, the test of fellowship. It's a quick quiz, but I want you to answer it honestly. And I want to tell you something, folks. The key to fellowship is being honest with yourself and with God. You don't have to be honest to me. I hope you are, but you need to be honest with God. Number one, here's the test. Do I conduct my life down here in view of the rapture? Let's look at the verses to back up this question. Because when you read the Bible, it ought to question you. It ought to examine you. Amen? Look at 1 John 3, 3, please. The Bible says, And every man that hath this hope, what hope? That when he shall appear, we shall be like him. And folks, uh, and it's going to be soon, amen? I believe the rapture is going to take place. This world is in a mess because of sin and tolerance and uh, intolerance towards Christians. And folks, Jesus is coming. It's a sign of the last days. There'll be many that are persecuted and hated for his namesake. There'll be many false prophets that'll get all the accolades and all the TV time. But folks, I want to tell you something. The Bible says in the last days, we ought to have a difference in our life if we're in fellowship. We ought, to, we ought to walk to the tune of a different drummer. We ought, to, we ought to walk on the high road, not the low road or the mediocre road. Because a lot of people are just content being friends and playing footsie with the world. But look at this, 1 John 3, 3. It says, Every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Now, folks, when you walk with God, you just want to be like Him. You want fellowship with Him. You don't want anything to come between you and the fellowship of God. It was so sad when Adam and Eve sinned and they tried to run and hide from the fellowship of God. And he said, Adam, where art thou? And then good old Adam, when he was found, says, hey, it was the woman that did it. Isn't that just like a man? He's going to blame everything on his wife. Amen. Oh, yeah, if she was right, I'd be a better husband, you know. You need to still be a man of God and just go on for God no matter what. Amen. And the Bible says that we are walking in fellowship if our life is pure in these last days. Number two. Number two. Do I continually dwell in sin? Do I continually dwell in sin? I want you to look at the verses while you're writing this question down to answer it. Maybe later in your devotions. 
1 John 3, 6. 1 John 3, 6. The Bible says, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither know him. And you say, wait a minute. I sin all the time. But I want to tell you something, friend. This sinneth means continually or habitually. Look at 1 John 1, 9, or 3, 9. 3, 9. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. And folks, that sin is in the, is in the present continual tense. It's habitual sin. Noah got drunk, but he wasn't a drunkard. Peter cursed, but he wasn't a curser. Every time I say that, I think about a computer. He wasn't, he wasn't a cusser. His language was not that all, all the time. Abraham lied, but he wasn't a liar. See, sin was an exception, not a profession. If sin is a profession, you need to get saved. Because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, and He will discipline you. He will whip you. He'll scourge you. Every son whom receiveth, He scourges and chases every son whom receiveth. And the Bible says in verse 8, you're illegitimate if you don't get chastened. And so I want to tell you something, friend. You can't just live in continual sin if you're saved. Sin bothers you. The first thing about sin that bothers you is you lose peace with God. The Bible says in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your heart. The word rule literally means umpire. And when you sin, the Holy Ghost says you're out of His will. You're out of fellowship. And I want to tell you something, friend. You constantly cuss. You constantly drink. You constantly low-rate the men of God, the things of God. You're not saved. According to the Word of God, you're not saved. Forget the fellowship. You're not saved. Because I want to tell you something. The Spirit of God should dwell in us in such a way that we do not continue in sin. Because we can't. The reason I don't continue in sin is because, number one, I don't want to. When I got saved, I got a new want to. And, folks, when you don't have a new want to, that means you don't have the Holy Spirit. And then, number two, I'm scared to. Because I'm afraid God will take my heart. My heart's my children. My heart's my grandchildren. My heart's my wife. I believe if I went into open, blatant, continual sin, God would get my attention. He'd ring my bell. I told you about the, the preacher that uh, uh, killed my wife's best friend and was my pastor and got away with it. He didn't get away with it long because he was 45 years old in a Southern Baptist church in California, and it was booming with many numbers because he, he was before the contemporary movement. He knew how to sway people and and, uh, and uh, entertain people, God killed him. God killed him. So you can't get away with sin. There is a sin unto death. First John talks about that in chapter 5, verse 16. I want to tell you something. I don't mean you go to hell. That means you'll go to heaven before you planned on it. And if you're going to learn God's name, he'll just say, come up here and sit in the corner, man. You, and I want to tell you something. That's why we ought to deal with sin immediately. And we should really be sensitive to sin. That it's awful. It's terrible. It put Christ on the cross. Sometimes we never hear a message against sin. We never hear a message on hell. And folks, we never hear a message on the second coming. Well, in this church, you will. Because, friend, I love you enough to preach the truth. We need to, number three, we need to answer this question. Do I hate my spiritual brother? Okay, this is going to get touchy, but we need it. Do I hate my spiritual brother? Is there anybody that's saved that you hate? Now, folks, you might not like them, but you shouldn't hate them. <laughs> Amen. 
Bible didn't command us to like everybody, but he commanded us to love everybody, amen? That don't mean you have to sit on their robe, but praise God, don't cuss them when they come in the house of God. Don't look at them and say, oh no, here she comes. No, friend, listen, you need to put your tongue on the altar if, you, if you're talking like that. But I want you to see this. I hope the altar will hold it. But listen, um, do I hate my spiritual brother? Do I hate him? Look at 1 John 4.10. Four, uh, excuse me, 4.20. 1 John 4.20. Survey the book of 1 John. I think it's very interesting. It says, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother in whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? That's a powerful question. Folks, we ought to love everybody. And thus, that means we need to forgive a lot of people. Some people are just hard to forgive, isn't it? You know why they're hard to forgive? Because they never repent. They just keep on sinning. It breaks my heart. They keep on neglecting the kids. They keep on neglecting their family. They keep on living for me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. I want to tell you something. It is sickening. It is so, so sad. People will not repent. They just want to keep on walling in the mire of sin. But folks, the Bible says, well, I love them. I want to minister to them. And you know something? The day you give up on them probably will doom their faith if you'll keep on loving them. I had to do that with my daddy as an alcoholic. I had to keep on loving them. And one day when I preached my last message in Decatur, Georgia, going to Claxton, Georgia, as a youth pastor, he walked out. Got saved. Changed his whole life. So do I hate my spiritual brother? If you do, you're out of fellowship. You might be out of sonship. Then number four, I believe it's four, do I really love my brother? Do I really love my brother? Look at 1 John 4, 7. The Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. But look at verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. I have a hard time believing people are really saved if they never want to come to church. Because I love God's Word. And I love God for saving me. And maybe they did get saved, but they sure got over it quick. And folks, I want to tell you, if you're saved, you want to be in the house of God. And if you're saved, you want to listen to the Word of God because it's love letters from your Heavenly Father. And if you're saved, you love others. You really love others. You just love people. You have a hard time loving people. It might be your personality, but it might be your lack of spirituality. Some people are not friendly. They were born that way, <laughs> and you see them coming, you wonder what's wrong. But I want to tell you something, friend. A smile's never hurt anybody. An encouraging word has never hurt anyone. But I want to tell you something. Caustic language, rejection, and classism, and cliques in the house of God have hurt a lot of people. I thank God I don't think we've ever had a major split in this church. Maybe I was out of town, didn't know it. But I want to tell you something, friend. I thank God for the love in this church. I thank God for your love. I thank God for your encouragement. It's not hard for me to come to this church for 41 years. And I thank God for you and for the love. And I thank God every time you show up for visitation. I know you love sinners. I thank God every time we have a funeral. You might not know the person. You go by. And I, I caught Brother Howard over there at the funeral home the other night. Uh, him and Eddie were saying, I wonder where Brother Wayne is. I was getting there. 
Amen. Long jet lag. I'm getting there. But I want to tell you something, friend. Do you really love the brother? I believe I skipped one. Do you desire to help your brother? And that's found in um, uh, verse chapter 3, verse 17. Look at it real quick. 3.17. Just a, big, a quick survey, and then we'll get to verse by verse. It says, But whosoever hath his world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? God's love will overflow. God never fills you for a feeling charismatic. God fills you to overflow. God fills you to minister. God fills you to be a witness. God fills you to give. God wants you to be a giver, not a getter. There's two different, there's pseudo love in the marriage where you're in it to get all the time. You drain your mate. But folks, God wants you to be filled with the Spirit of God so you can give and minister instead of manipulate. And two sinners together can never meet each other's needs. But the Holy Spirit through you can love your mate. And it is precious. It's real. It's eternal. Then number uh, whatever. Do I really love my brethren? Yes. Do I really love God? Do I really love God? That's probably the paramount question. Do I really love God? Look at chapter 5 verse 2. The Bible says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. If you love me, feed my lambs. If you love me, keep the commandments, God says. And so, folks, listen, the proof of your love is obedience. It's a key in the Christian life, yielding to the Spirit of God with obedience. And then I want you to see, you, you, you enjoy the rapport with other servants of God. Chapter 4, verse 6. Real quick. Chapter 4, verse 6. The Bible says this. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Whereby know we the spirit of the truth and the spirit of error. And folks, the Bible says that we need to be faithful. And they were not, they, we know that they were not of us because they left us. I'm not talking about the local church. I'm talking about living for God. And so am I plagued with constant fear is another question you ought to ask. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear, 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love catheth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect or mature in, in love. Folks, you need to realize that God loves you and you love Him, and you're immortal in God's will until God's finished with you. Stop being afraid to get out of the house. Stop being afraid of storms. I don't think you ought to go out and play golf during a lightning storm. And I don't believe you ought to not take shelter like they did down in uh, South Alabama and wiped out a whole city. And they still hadn't found all the dead. One family of seven died. Can you imagine the grief in that family? One little six-year-old died. One little ten-year-old died. Beautiful, blonde-haired little girl. And you know, it would be crazy for them not to take shelter, and I'm sure they did, but they had no shelter. And folks, I can't understand why those things happen, but I know one thing. Folks, we need to not be full of constant fear. We shouldn't dare God, but we ought to not be fearful. We ought to have faith. Where faith begins, fear ends. We need to have faith in God. That doesn't mean not go out and lock your doors. It doesn't mean that you don't check your smoke alarm. It doesn't mean that you don't have a few cameras in your house. 
doesn't mean that you lock, don't lock your cars. And when I was a teenager, you didn't lock your cars. We just opened up and said, if you want it, take it. And we knew they wouldn't take it because it was a decent hour we lived in. Now if you leave your keys in a car, you might as well just kiss it goodbye. But folks, I want to tell you something. It don't mean that. It just means you shouldn't be full of fear. If you're walking with God, He'll take care of you. God will take care of you. There's no, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about a thing. Don't mean be carefree, but it means you just ought to trust God in everyday living. Am I able to overcome the world's another question? Here's a quiz for you in fellowship. First John 5, 4 says this, For whosoever is born of God, that's a great phrase mentioned seven times in this book, overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our if you're in fellowship with God and you know the Lord Jesus is your personal Savior, there ought to be some overcoming. Amen. You know, a lot of people that are just addicts, some of them are saved, but a lot of them just need to get saved. They don't have any Holy Spirit inside of them to overcome. You can say, oh, yeah, they, got, they had a childhood experience, but I want to tell you something. There is victory that was won at Calvary that every Christian can claim. And I'm not saying you go around and get everybody lost like a lot of camp meters do, and get them lost 20 times and get them saved. But I want to tell you something, folks. There's an evidence and a fruit of repentance, and there's a fruit of victory. Victory. So am I able to overcome the world? Then can I recognize false doctrines when it comes my way? Chapter 4, verse 1 through 3 says, Beloved, leave not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know you the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is coming to the world, Come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh is not of God, and this is the spirit of, of the Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Folks, there's a lot of spirit of Antichrist going around here. We got two of them on this road. Jehovah Witnesses, probably the Buddhists across the street too, and the Mormons. Both of them believe wrong about Jesus. They don't believe he's God. Jehovah Witnesses teach he was a created being. That's blasphemy. That's heresy. So don't go around just shaking their hands and fellowshipping with them. Win them to Jesus. Tell them they're lost. They need to be right on the deity of Christ. And this is what these verses say. You're not right with Jesus Christ. You're not right with God. So are you straight on the deity of Christ? And then last but not least, am I straight on the work of Christ? 1 John 5, 13 is a verse that every new convert ought to memorize. It says in 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. It didn't say a thing about feelings, but it sure, good, it sure feels good to be saved. But folks, I want to tell you something. You need to know you're saved before you'll feel like you're saved. You need to know you're saved before you'll act like you're saved. And folks, we know we're saved because of what is written. The Word of God is your testimony, and the Word, you can bank on it. And folks, if you're saved, you ought to have a verse about it. And here's the verse. Believe on the, on the Son of God, that you, that you may know that you pass from death and life because you believed on the name of the Son of God, John 5, 24. And so that's a great verse on assurance. If anybody ever doubts salvation, you ought to go to 1 John 5, 13 
and say, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That means eternal life. You don't lose it. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Believe on, not believe about. And so I always take people to this verse and say, When did you believe on Jesus Christ? They ought to have a time and a place, and if they don't have the time, they ought to remember the place. I feel really sorry for people that can't remember like sometimes I can't remember. And I, you know, I mean, I just can't remember things. But I'll never forget the day I got saved. And I was a real experience. I was five rows back. My cousin was once again elbowing me, but I felt elbow from inside. And the preacher preached on hell, and I got scared to go to hell. And I got saved by the grace of God, and my life changed. And I got a new want to. And I was only 11 and a half years old. And I want to tell you, that was March 15, 1964, Brother Darrell's birthday, not, not 64. But anyway, 1 John 5, 13 says, it's written. I don't know what year it is, brother. But anyway, it's written. Uh, Monday, Brother Tony Howarth uh, turned 50. He was all depressed. I wanted to send him some black wilted roses or something, you know, really rubbing it. I will get him tomorrow. But I told him, I said, I want to make you feel a little younger. He said, how can you do that, preacher? I said, I graduated the year. I graduated from high school the year you was born. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so he called me old. But anyway, listen, folks, are you straight on the work of Christ? And I'll tell you, the greatest work of Christ was Calvary. The greatest miracle of Christ is Calvary. The greatest miracle in your life is salvation. The greatest privilege in your life is you're a child of God. And folks, how dare we fellowship with the war world and make warfare with God when we're His child. Look at 1 John 5, 20 and I'll close. The Bible says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now, folks, does that sound like some dead religion to you? Does that, sound, does that sound like some kind of ritual to you? Folks, it said we're in Him. He's in us and we're in Him. We're His body. He's the head. And we can't not lose our salvation because we're, we're, we're part of Him. Somebody said, no, He can pluck, he can, uh, he can pluck you out of His hand. Not if you're one of the fingers. Amen. And who wants to be plucked out? You can't even pluck yourself out of the fellowship of the sonship of God. But you sure can lose the fellowship. You can let one grudge knock you slap out of the fellowship of God. Pardon the expression. You can get one sin that so easily besets you, especially the sin of unbelief, and walk out of here out of the fellowship of God. Why would anybody want to miss one minute fellowship with God and it's through Jesus his incarnation his crucifixion it's because he loved us but there's one thing that John encourages over and over again deal with sin deal with sin if you don't deal with sin tonight you probably won't deal with sin tomorrow and then the next day if you don't deal with sin you might do it even Sunday, and you'll be in the flesh next week.
You'll find out those weeks turn into months, and those months turn into years, and you can actually be out of the fellowship with God for 30 years. And folks, life's too precious to waste. And if you are out of the fellowship for even a month, it ought to bother you. If you're out of fellowship for a year, it would be tragic. If you're out of fellowship a week, that'd be horrible. But we ought to be sensitive even if we're out of fellowship one minute of our life. That's why I believe the Word of God is so important. And I believe going to the house of God is so important. I believe you ought to crawl here if you can. Just to get more faith. Sunday night, God moved in a miraculous way during that Lord's Supper. I didn't know Vinny's testimony was like that. I, I, I remember Daryl's testimony. That touched my heart. And then the message, brief as it was, and then to have the family join the church, and, and, and thank God the Spirit of God was moving. Three saved uh, yesterday morning or Sunday morning. And folks, listen, God's presence is evident in this church. And you can miss it. I'm not talking about skipping church. Sometimes you can't be here. I understand that. Things come up. Things go down. The devil will make sure he tries to keep you out. But I'm talking about walking in this church out of fellowship. I'm talking about walking in church, fussing with your wife or your husband all week, sinning against your children by not setting the example. I'm talking about not cracking this book until you come to the house of God. I'm talking about not praying one minute till you come to this prayer meeting. I want to tell you something, friend. You can walk in this building out of the fellowship of God, and you can walk out of this building in the fellowship of God. This building's not magic, but walking with God is a blessing. I want to exhort you, as we study the book of 1 John, to be very careful, to be very honest. When you walk in this place in the flesh, don't wait to the altar call because you just missed the whole service. Bow your head and pray and ask God to help you listen to the Word of God. Sing the praises of God. Maybe we got it backwards. Maybe we ought to have the altar call first. But I believe, maybe we ought to have it first, second, and last. But I know this, the most important part of your life is fellowship. And the most horrendous thing that could ever happen is that sin would knock you out of fellowship. And the most absurd thing that could ever happen is that self would keep you out of fellowship. I believe this book is going to help us. I believe this book has already helped me just surveying. Folks, fellowship is precious. Let's not let anything hinder us from walking with God tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this book and this Bible study. I tried not to preach. I just wanted to teach a little while and study the Word of God as the fellowship epistle is so pungent, so real, so right. God, help us examine our hearts, not just take a little pop quiz about fellowship. But Holy Ghost, teacher of all teachers, teach us and show us what robs us of the precious fellowship with God. 
God help us to realize no matter how many marriage retreats we go on, if we're not in fellowship with you, we have no power to minister to our mate. We have no power to show respect to our husband. We have no power to show love to our wife. We have no power. We have no desire. We're full of ourself. We're full of sin. We're in it for what we can get. And when we don't get what we want, we get upset. And so, Lord, deliver us from ourselves. Help us, dear God, to be explicitly honest about our walk with you. Help us to fellowship with you. And let nothing come between us and our Savior. Nothing between us. Nothing. God, help us to be clear and clean before thee. And we'll praise you.